Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is going to be a great episode again. We've got more from Google on EAT. They've included it in more of their documentation, which is always something exciting for me. The more information we can get on how Google values, measures, determines EAT factors, uh, the more we can do to help improve our websites. So we're always interested when Google uh, produces more information on EAT. We're going to talk on a similar vein about Google uh, giving us more information about blog blocking sites that contradict scientific consensus. This has been a hot topic over the last year. Um, you may have noticed this week that Google's had issues with site colon searches. Uh, although this seems to be fixed, we'll talk about that briefly. And also something's going on with FAQ snippets. So if you've struggled there, I'll give you my thoughts on uh, what Google is doing this week with, uh, with FAQ snippets. Um, We've also got some really great Q&A questions. One is about two product pages that are ranking. And this happens a lot where you have uh, two very similar pages and often the one that you want to rank well is below the other one. And so uh, this question is, what can we do about that? And I'll give you some of my thoughts on how maybe that situation can be changed. And another great question about a question that Google asks in their post on core updates and questions that we should be asking ourselves. One of the questions is about exaggerating or shocking titles and headings. And uh, one of our listeners has asked a question about what does that even mean? And so I'll give you my thoughts on that. This is episode number 142 of the newsletter. Um, and as always, the podcast corresponds to our written version of newsletter, which you can find at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. Something that I've realized is happening with podcasts, and uh, you know, those of you who have been listening for a while know that we've sort of gone from like we used to have a 20 minute podcast, and then I tried to put more and more into it. And you know, lately, I think our last episode was well over an hour, uh, and I'm going to try to cut it down a little bit, um, talk about just the really, really important things. Because I know a lot of you are listening to this just so you can get caught up on what was it that Google changed. Uh, and so I'm going to try to focus on that. Um, and I'll share with you some other stuff that we have in the newsletter version as well, in case you want to catch that um, on the web as opposed to listening to this. Uh, we did not pick up any obvious um, algorithm updates this week. Uh, I did have a client reach out to me uh, who's normally on the cusp of uh, whenever Google does a very massive update, it seems to affect their website very, very quickly. Uh, and so yesterday, a client reached out to me saying, this is happening. Google's doing a big update. Uh, and then they um, wrote back and said, oops, I think we had a, a, an issue with our data, um, which is interesting because I don't know what the specific issue was, but we had another one of our clients that uh, one of my auditors was looking at their uh, data in Google Analytics and saw that yesterday their traffic went down to essentially nothing. And, uh, you know, when you see this in Google Analytics, I think that's a bug sometimes that happens where uh, you'll look at traffic up to and including the previous day. And for some reason, the reporting uh, can be delayed sometimes. And um, you 
might see that, oh, it looks like we got zero traffic yesterday. And then if you look at the data again tomorrow, it turns out that the day was just fine. Um, so I don't know if there's an issue on Google Analytics side, but if you're seeing some weird things with traffic, it, it's possible that there's a bug there. I, you know, I don't know. Um, so the short version of that, though, is that as far as we know, there's no significant algorithm update to talk about this week. Let's talk, though, about EAT. Most of you probably know it stands for expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. And I've been talking about EAT for a few years now um, and trying to do all we can to figure out what is it that Google values in terms of EAT and what aspects of EAT can we actually improve upon for our websites? Because there's some things that you can't change, you know, if my competitors have been in business for 50 years and I just started last year, it's not, there's nothing I can do to give me more expertise uh, than my competitors. But there are other things that can be greatly improved upon. So Google put out a, a post this week about Discover traffic. And I've been talking about Discover traffic you know, quite a bit uh, in the last little while. And I think it's very interesting to see that they included uh, information about EAT. Uh, and I'll read it here. It says, our automated systems surface content in Discover from sites that have many individual pages that demonstrate expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness, EAT. Those looking to improve EAT can consider some of the same questions we encourage site owners to consider for search. And they link to their blog post on uh, core updates in um, uh, on their, their, uh, their blog, Google's blog. Um, and they go on to say, while search and discover are different, the overall principles for EAT as it applies to content within them are similar. The part in this that made me really interested was um, where they say those looking to improve EAT can consider these questions. And the questions, actually one of them is one that we're going to cover in Q&A in podcast, uh, where they say, you know, does the topic, uh, does the article have a shocking or exaggerated title? There are other things uh, that they ask in there that relate to whether users would trust this content, whether it is a substantial, sub, sub, substantially better article than what already exists out there. Uh, these are all things that we should be asking ourselves. And I think a lot of people dismiss these questions because in our minds we say, well, how could a search engine measure that? How could they do that? And I'm not here to tell you exactly how they do it, but Google has been telling us for uh, a few years now that we should be demonstrating our expertise, our authoritativeness, and the fact that uh, we're trustworthy. I'm going to come back to this a little bit more uh, later on in this episode. Uh, actually, let's talk about scientific consensus, because this is a part of, in my opinion, uh, trustworthiness for websites, the T in EAT. Um, there was a new Google Ads policy. Policy. Now, Google Ads obviously are different from Google Organic Search, uh, but the policy announced that uh, Google is going to start in mid-August banning ads that promote any sort of conspiracy involving coronavirus. Um, and here's the, the words. In August 2020, the Google Ads dangerous or derogatory policy will be updated to prohibit content that relates to a current major health crisis and contradicts authoritative scientific consensus. Now, why is this important? Because this is more, like Google hasn't talked a whole lot 
about scientific consensus. We we wrote about it after the June 3rd update of last year, so uh, 2019. We saw many, many websites that had big declines in rankings, and the vast majority of them were websites that their topics were medical topics that contradicted scientific consensus. And so the very um, extreme example of this would be a website that touts that carrots can cure cancer and, um, you know, and then gives all of their thoughts on why carrots can cure cancer. And in the past, if you just looked at Google's regular signals, like if lots of people linked to this, even if it's not correct, if lots of people were linking to it, it's something that could eventually surface. And I believe that Google doesn't want people to find wrong information on Google searches. Uh, now, I know, you know, we could argue probably all of us have SERPs where we wish that we could outrank a competitor because a competitor has information that maybe isn't the best. Um, I don't think Google's perfect at it, but I think that they're getting better and better. And so if Google ads are now saying, look, we're going to ban uh, ads regarding, in this situation, coronavirus, because that's our current medical crisis, major health crisis is what they say. Uh, if they say we're going to ban ads that uh, talk about coronavirus and also contradict authoritative scientific consensus, how do they do that? I'm fairly certain that they're not going to be manually reviewing every single ad that talks about coronavirus, although that's a possibility. When Google years ago said, hey, we're going to take every book in the world and uh, scan it and put it into uh, you know, a place where people can find it online, people laughed at them, but they actually did manually take... I don't know, I, I should look up the full story, but I mean, they had people scanning books, uh, legitimately people, um, as opposed to like trying to do this in an automated way. Uh, it's possible that there's some type of automation that says, ah, this uh, ad talks about coronavirus or COVID or masks or certain keywords that are connected with uh, our current crisis. And um, then those go to a manual review. It's certainly possible. I think it's also possible, though, that they do this in an algorithmic way. Now, we wrote about this uh, back with the June update last year, and if you just search on Google for Marie Haynes' scientific consensus, you'll find that article. I give some theories on how I think Google might be doing this. I actually think some of it is connected to your headings and your titles on the page, which, again, we're going to talk about in the Q&A section of this podcast. Um, so... This is important right now for websites that are touting, you know, conspiracy theories about 5G or, or Bill Gates is, um, you know, propagating the virus so that he can microchip the whole world, things, things like that. Um, but we also think that it's, it's happening right now for things not connected to coronavirus. Uh, and again, if you have pages on your website that are touting, uh, you know, miracle cures for something where none of the authoritative websites are actually saying that same thing, uh, that could possibly cause Google to treat your website as lower quality or maybe not trustworthy. Um, you know, we don't know where the line is drawn here, but what I'm saying is if they can measure it for ads, then they probably can measure it for search as well. And uh, I find that very, very, very interesting. Um, I'm going to pause a second here 
to do a little bit of an advertisement slot. And uh, if you've been listening, I mean, I've been doing this podcast for uh, a, a couple of years now, maybe even a few years. I can't remember when I first started it. Uh, and we really haven't done a whole lot of advertising. And so we've decided that we're going to open up um, potentially the possibility of an advertiser slot. Uh, but for today, I'm actually going to tell you a bit about one of our services. And feel free to skip ahead a couple minutes if you don't want to listen to this. But if you're interested in our site reviews, here's just a little bit of information on what uh, you can get with a, a site review with MHC. I have been in SEO since 2008. And in 2012, when Google came out with the Penguin algorithm, there was so much confusion about what it was about that uh, I started to take notes on everything Google said about Penguin. And I started this Google Doc, and if uh, a Google employee said something, if there was a Google document, uh, maybe somebody, an SEO that I trusted, did a test, um, you know, somebody figured out uh, something that seemed to work, uh, I made note of it, and I started writing this in a Google Doc. Well, I don't know if you know that you can fill up Google Google Docs, but we filled up that, I filled up that Google Doc, and now we're on our fourth Google Doc of everything that Google has ever said that we have found um, in regards to what they could consider high quality, not just about links, uh, but about your website overall, and also things that are low quality. Um, so, so our site review is actually us going through your website with all of these factors in mind. And over the years, I've made uh, essentially a checklist that my team and I can go through uh, to look at things like whether your link quality could be affecting you. Um, we look at comparisons of competitors uh, in terms of EAT. Uh, and our goal is not just to point out your failings, but to give you actionable things that you can do to improve where we see like, oh, look, your competitor is wording things in this way. And that sounds more trustworthy. Um, your competitor has more reviews than you. And so here's where we think you should go to uh, foster more good reviews for your company, things like that. Um, so we can't always promise that your website is going to see improvements, but Google update days are usually really good days at MHC. Generally, the day after Google announces a Google update, we usually do have quite a few clients that have implemented our advice uh, and um, you know seen very, very nice improvements in their traffic. So if you're interested in having a site review done by our team, um, I'm involved in all of these site reviews as well. You can reach out at help at mariehaines.com, and there's also more information on our website, mariehaines.com as well. So we'll get back into the uh, the rest of the news that you're interested in here. Um, mobile first indexing. Just today, before I started recording this podcast episode, Google announced that they are pushing back the date where they're going to move everybody to mobile first indexing. And this is connected, uh, they say it's connected to the current crisis uh, with coronavirus that a lot of businesses have many things on their plate and perhaps getting their website ready for mobile first indexing isn't their first priority. I would say it should be your first priority. I mean, not your first priority, but it should be made a priority because um, 
because Google is eventually moving to mobile first indexing, uh, we uh, summarized Google's blog post on, and it's interesting, they actually added more stuff um, to what you should be checking and what could be holding you back from being moved to mobile first indexing. Uh, they actually talked about using lazy loading as uh, best practice, which is something that, um, you know, I think what they're seeing is a lot of websites uh, can't be moved to mobile first indexing because they have massive images that are not properly optimized. Uh, so if you have not yet been moved to mobile first indexing, and even if you have, I would encourage you to read um, our summary on newsletter or read the Google blog post uh, as to what uh, types of things could be holding you back. Because these are things that will make it, if you don't fix these, and eventually, uh, now they're saying it was supposed to be September of 2020 that they were going to move everybody, and now it's going to be the end of March. So it's it's not that much extra time, really. Um, and so you really want to assess this type of thing. If you haven't been moved so far, it probably means that there's something that's hindering you. Uh, and Google wants to make it so that they're not going to do huge damage to websites as they've been moved over. As an interesting point of note... We always do check in our site reviews uh, whether anything changed dramatically after being moved to mobile-first indexing. And I can't recall a case so far where we have said, oh, you know, you're, when you got moved to mobile-first indexing, your traffic plummeted. Um, so I do believe that Google's trying to do it in a way where uh, they move sites over in a way that's not going to hurt them. But I think that come March of next year, when they actually do this for all sites, there are going to be some sites that get affected negatively. Um, and that's why they continually are publishing advice on how to uh, improve your site from uh, the standpoint of being ready for mobile first indexing. All right, site colon commands. Most of you know what a site colon command is. If you're uh, wanting to see all of the URLs on your website, you can do a search for site colon with no spaces, uh, example.com. And you'll see all of the pages that Google, well, not all, a good number of the pages that Google has indexed for your site. We use this a lot for site reviews. And in fact, just yesterday, I was going over uh, a review with one of my auditors and um, we were saying, oh, look, this one particular page that is like one of their best pages, we can't find it in the index. And um, we were doing site colon searches and we have this whole section written up about how like Google's not even surfacing it on a site colon search. And, uh, and we were like, I eventually just put it off to say, let's figure this out tomorrow because something's not lining up. And sure enough, it turns out that uh, the site colon search was not surfacing uh, pages for most sites. So if you had that issue, then you're not going crazy. It's, it's, uh, it was an issue on Google's side. There was a little bit of controversy over this because um, somebody noticed they were doing site colon searches for, and I don't know the exact details, but it was a political uh, site, and they were noticing that this particular site was not uh, turning up on site colon searches. And then they had a theory that maybe Google had an issue with right-leaning uh, websites. And, um, and so they started doing site colon searches for other right-leaning websites, and none of those were indexed either. Uh, and so the theory came out that, oh, perhaps Google has a political agenda and they're removing websites from search because of politics, which 
Google has said, no, it's not the case. And I believe them as well. Uh, again, several of our clients had wacky results with site colon searches uh, yesterday, and they had absolutely nothing to do with politics or religious beliefs or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, it was a, a bug, a glitch. It happens, and it is apparently fixed uh, as of yesterday afternoon. That would have been Tuesday, July 21st. Similarly, let's talk about FAQ uh, schema or rich results. If you um, implement FAQ schema, it's not 100% guarantee that Google is going to show you FAQs in the search results. But what we noticed last week was that quite a few websites that previously had FAQ showing in the search results lost those uh, those FAQ uh, schema results as well. Um, and they were not seeing rich results in, in the SERPs. Uh, and so I had several people reaching out to me saying, like, did Google change something? Now, if you've lost your FAQ snippets, there can be multiple reasons. I mean, it may just be that Google's determined that another site is better to answer this question than yours. Um, it can also be, if it happens immediately after a core update, it can be that Google has deemed that your site is not high enough quality to grab FAQ snippets from. Um, so I always get concerned when a site loses snippets at the same time as losing traffic in a core update. That's a sign that there are some significant issues quite often. Uh, but apparently some of these sites that were losing their FAQ snippets, they're coming back now. Maybe just not as much as they uh, previously were. Uh, I was talking with Brody Clark on uh, Twitter and his theory is that this is a bug on Google's side. We don't have enough data to support that just yet. But uh, if you have been playing around with FAQ schema and you're frustrated because you're not seeing the results of your, uh, your markup, it could be because of a Google bug. Uh, I know Barry Schwartz has addressed this on Search Engine Roundtable as well, and it sounds to me like things will return to normal. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if Google's just uh, tweaking the algorithm and maybe they're wanting to provide fewer uh, FAQ results in the search results. It's certainly possible. Uh, we don't have a whole lot to discuss in terms of local SEO. There's no very obvious algorithm algorithm fluctuation or anything like that. Um, Mike Blumenthal pointed out that it looks like Q&A and reviews are returning. Uh, Google apparently, uh, it appears that they put a hold on a lot of uh, the ability to leave a review because a lot of people were leaving reviews that had nothing to do with the business but were more about like, hey, I went to your business and I saw a guy who wasn't wearing a mask, um, and that shouldn't cause the business to get a one-star review, you know. So, um, but apparently those are coming back again. So uh, keep an eye out if you're starting to get some reviews and uh, Q and As, which you want to be answering those. Uh, you want to pay attention to that. Also in our newsletter, again, episode number 142, we have several uh, other tips that I just don't have time to uh, talk about in podcast today. Uh, one is a new way to sort in Google Search Console on... Um, uh, people who are clicking on the news tab in search. That's interesting. Um, interesting info about people who review Google's algorithms. Uh, so I would love to know more about the web spam team as opposed to the quality raters. Uh, and so we've talked a bit about that in our newsletter as well. 
um, some of my team uh, surfaced this great uh, discussion on when you need to worry about trailing slashes in a URL. So you can find that in newsletter. Uh, we've got stuff on how to find uh, cumulative layout shift issues. Uh, again, Brody Clark has been doing some killer work on this and he's uh, found a way to uh, make it easy to pinpoint what's causing these issues. Um, and, and more. We've got loads of uh, extra tips in newsletter as well. Um, and so again, mariehaines.com slash newsletter, and this is episode number 142. Uh, I've got these two really good Q&A questions. If you want to ask me a question, there's two ways you can do it. Uh, you can go to any episode of our newsletter, and there's a Google form there that you can fill out, and that will get to me, and we'll decide whether this is a good question to an answer in podcast. Uh, or you can tweet at the MHC underscore Inc. Twitter account, and uh, Summer will um, grab that uh, question and put it into my uh, my list of questions as well. Uh, so either of those will work. So here's an interesting question coming from Dan. Client has two very similar yet subtly different product pages. The main one is being cannibalized by the lesser one. Both need to exist so I can't kill one off, nor can I combine the two. I thought of no indexing the lesser one and or pointing the canonical for both to the main one. What would you do? Any other ideas? So uh, I'll, I'll start with the standard SEO answer that sometimes it depends. <laughs> you know, not seeing the actual content on these pages, it's going to be hard to give specific advice. But I think it's fairly clear to me, and this happens fairly often, uh, that, you know, well, I, I can't remember, we have something very similar. Oh, it's an article that I wrote on disavowing. And if you search for something like should you disavow in 2020 or something? Um, another article of mine tends to surface that uh, I'm not, it's not the best answer. Um, now, I haven't worked on fixing this, but I think this is a similar situation uh, because then the article that should be appearing for my disavow article is like three or four keywords down or SERP positions down. Um, and I think this is very similar in your case. You've got two pages ranking, but you want the lower one to actually be ranking higher. So a lot of how you would go about fixing this involves internal linking, in my opinion. Um, for some reason, Google has decided that when people search for this query, this one particular page on your website is the most relevant to that query. And uh, so I would be looking at where your internal links are pointing and what anchor text they're using. Um, most of the crawling tools will do this. Uh, I believe um, we often use Sitebulb. Screaming Frog does this as well. Uh, and you can look at a particular page and see where all of your internal links are coming and what uh, type of anchor text you've used. So in terms of anchor text, um, something that I've seen in the last few years is a lot of site owners uh, are really cautious about using exact match anchor text on internal links. And you don't need to be worried about that. Um, Google has a whole document on SEO and it's a, a starter's guide for SEO. And they actually recommend that you use keywords that describe the page, the topic, or whatever it is you're talking about when you're linking uh, internally. Um, and Matt Cutts was asked years ago about whether uh, websites could get an over-optimization penalty for uh, internally linking with too many keyword anchors. And he essentially said no. He said it's possible if you have like a footer with millions of internal links that maybe Google would step in and take action there. 
although I've never seen that. Um, but look at a site like Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia, every time one of their main terms is mentioned, they will link internally with a followed link to the appropriate page. And that's actually super helpful for users, right? So the page that you want to be ranking, make sure that you're linking to it from, you know, across your site, wherever appropriate. One thing I might do just temporarily is put, uh, if you don't already have one, a link from your home page that's in context. Um, that in context meaning that like it's in a sentence essentially saying like, oh, if you're looking for this product, um, we have a great page on it here. Something, uh, you know, obviously not those words, but something like that. Um, I do believe that links from your homepage are a great signal to Google to say like, look, we think this page is important. And if you link with the appropriate keywords, you're telling Google like this is important and this is what we want this page to rank for. The other thing that you could do is on the page that's currently ranking really well that you wish was ranking below the other one um, is put a call to action on that page saying, oh, by the way, if you were actually looking for this product, like here it is, along with a followed link uh, to, to that page. Um, and so, and then the other thing I'd look at is why? Try to figure out why does Google think that your lesser page is more relevant to searches. I'd be looking in Search Console at the keywords that are driving people to that page and just kind of using your brain looking at like why would Google think that page two is more relevant. So uh, like a, an example would be um, let's say you had two versions of a shirt and one is red and one is blue uh, and you know, you want the blue page to rank, but the red page is ranking when people search for that type of shirt. Um, and maybe you find in your search console data that a lot of people are coming to your page uh, searching for red sweatshirt instead of just shirt. Uh, and maybe that one particular page is better optimized for the word sweatshirt. And so what you would do is go into the page that you want to rank and just make sure that you've used that keyword in there. You don't need to be stuffing it all over the place, uh, but make sure you've used the keyword on that page uh, so that Google has more and more evidence to say, oh, okay, this page is talking on this subject as well. And then, yeah, I mean, there are other options. Uh, if you really, really wanted just that one page to rank, you could redirect the uh, lesser one to the, uh, the top one. And sometimes what that will do, like let's say you had positions three and four with those two URLs and you took um, the, the page that was at number three and you redirected it to the page that's ranking at number four, sometimes that can push you up so that you have one or two as rankings. Um, not one and two, though, just one or two. Uh, so hopefully that helps. I, th I think there's lots that could be done to fix that situation, and knowing the exact details would make it easier, but, uh, but hopefully that information helps. And here's another really interesting question. Uh, let's see here. Hi, Marie. I would love more clarity about the following. Does the headline and or page title avoid being exaggerating or shocking in nature? And this was found on Google's blog post on core, what webmasters need to know on core updates. In particular, are there phrases to avoid? Uh, examples of authentic ways to encourage high click-through rate? Thank you. Okay, so this, is, this question is coming from, again, Google's blog post, and it has a whole bunch of questions to ask yourself. I actually just worked this week on improving our site review template where we put these questions 
into our template. And once we've done our entire review, then we look at these questions and go, you know, now that we've looked, we've spent three weeks looking at your, your site, um, now we think uh, that this could be an issue, this could be an issue, and point out the specific things that uh, Google's pointed out in their blog post. Now, the first time we talked or we heard about shocking or exaggerating titles uh, was in the Quality Raiders Guidelines. So section 6.2 of the Quality Raiders Guidelines talks about low quality main content. And uh, it, it talks about ways to um, analyze whether a page is low quality in terms of the main content on the page. And it says, this is written to the Quality Raiders. In addition, please examine the title on the page. The title of the page should describe the content. It goes on to say, exaggerated or shocking titles can entice users to click on pages in search results. If pages do not live up to the exaggerated or shocking title or images, the experience leaves users feeling surprised and confused. Here is an example of a page with an exaggerated and shocking title. Is the world about to end? Mysterious sightings of 25-foot sea serpents prompt panic! Exclamation mark. As the title for an article about the unidentified remains of one small dead fish on a beach. I don't know why I never saw that part before. That's funny. Um, so it's a dead fish, not a 25-foot sea serpent that's going to take over the world. Pages with exaggerated or shocking titles that do not describe the main content well should be rated as low. They also give another example in the Quality Raiders guidelines of an incorrect, shocking title, and it's a news article that proclaims that Miley Cyrus is dead at the age of 22. And at the time of recording this, as far as I know, Miley Cyrus is alive and well. Um, and so those are very exaggerated examples. Uh, so what does this mean? I think some of it is common sense that... Uh, if you are promising something and users click on your article based on that promise and then they go to your website and like that topic is not even covered, that's very frustrating to users. And uh, we've all been in that situation where you do a search result and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, this, you do a search and the results show you like, look, this is the answer to my question. And then you click on that page and there is no answer to your question. That's a very frustrating experience and Google doesn't want that to happen. Now, how does Google measure that? I don't know. It could be connected to how people bounce back to the SERPs and how they refine their query. Um, it could be connected to actually them doing language processing on the page. I have a bunch of theories on this, but I really don't know exactly how they do it. But what we know is that Google's told us in several places, this is super important. Now, I think that this is connected to the whole scientific consensus issue. Uh, and again, we wrote about this in our article on scientific consensus. Um, it's very easy for Google to pull entity information out of a page. And if you use Google's natural language processing tool, it's available to everybody. You don't need to use the API. You can just uh, copy and paste information into it. And what they'll do is they'll actually take the words on a page and extract what they think are the entities. For a page. And so one example that I used in my article was um, a particular site that was advertising a kidney cleanse. And if you took the text from this page, it was very clear that this page was about kidneys and about medicine and about a supplement. Um, and the title of the page, I can't remember now, but it was something about cleanse your kidneys. 
Um, I think it would be very easy for Google to programmatically determine that this particular page is promising something that will help your kidneys. And then the page uh, goes on to talk about this product, but there's no proof on that page. There's no links to articles, uh, scientific articles, that show that these products work. Um, there's nobody else who's talking about uh, this particular product as being helpful for uh, curing kidney problems. Um, and so what I'm thinking Google can do is say, look, we understand the point of this page is about this, but the title doesn't line up. And so just to be safe, maybe we won't show this to searchers. I think it's quite possible that that's what's happening. I also think that um, this could happen on varying degrees depending on how much trust Google has in your website overall. So let's say that the Mayo Clinic produced a new article that says uh, the title was New Treatment for Diabetes Shows Promise. Well, Google trusts the Mayo Clinic, right? And if the Mayo Clinic is going to publish this article, it probably means there's a new treatment for diabetes. And they will most definitely have links to studies, links to other experts saying like, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a doctor of endocrinology and I've been, uh, you know, trying this treatment with some of my patients and uh, it's really, really working well. Um, this type of thing coming from the Mayo Clinic, Google would trust. But imagine I just decided I'm going to write a blog on diabetes and I wrote, hey, here's this new treatment for diabetes uh, and everybody should be using it. But no other experts on the subject have ever talked about this. Well, I think it's possible that Google could say like, oh, if there's a new treatment for this disease, why would we trust this random person's blog when we haven't seen this as an issue on any other website? So... Again, I mean, I don't know exactly how Google would measure this type of thing, but they're telling us that this is what they want to be measuring. Um, if you recall this phrase that I always use from Ben Gomes when he was the head of search at Google, he said the quality raters guidelines, they don't tell us exactly what the algorithms are doing, but they tell us where we want to go, where Google wants to go. So... Um, what do you do with this? I think for most of us, this is not a big deal. I think if you write on medical topics, it is because Google has told us that they don't want to, at least in Google ads, they haven't told us uh, about the organic results, but I've, we've seen it in June of last year. They've told us regarding ads, though, that they don't want to be displaying ads that contradict scientific consensus in regards to coronavirus. So that says to me, again, that they can measure this type of thing. Um, I think for most people who are listening to this podcast episode, it's probably not an issue for you. But it's not a bad idea. If you've had pages that have dropped in terms of rankings, um, that... Uh, that you look at what queries in Search Console are bringing people to those pages and then truly looking at whether your content answers those queries. I would also look at the headings on the page um, because the uh, in a couple of places, I think in the core blog post, um, core update blog post when Google talks about this, they don't just talk about the title of the page but the headings. And something that we're often doing is looking at the headings on a page and saying, look, if I was a reader who was trying to determine whether to read this article or a competitor's article and I just skimmed the headings, 
Do I get my answer? Does it look like my answer is in this text? Um, and I think that Google can look at the headings of your posts as well. Uh, I don't have specific advice to say like, don't use this word or, uh, you know, do exactly this in your headings, but really look at it from a user's perspective uh, to say like, look, um, if somebody saw this title, would they find their answer in my text? And would they find it easily? I'll, I'll end with this little tidbit. Something that we're seeing with the May core update is that in a lot of cases, posts that used to rank that were super long are not ranking as well. And I'm not saying that Google is all of a sudden saying, oh, if you're more than 3,000 words, it's low quality content. Definitely not the case. Um, rather, I think that Google is getting better at determining like, oh, you've got this massive page on everything you'd want to know about the lymphatic system when you know, one paragraph in that maybe answers a searcher's query, whereas this authoritative website has a very concise answer to the query on just one page. I, I know that contradicts a lot of things that we've said in the past, like you shouldn't be producing thin pages just to target one query. Uh, but in some cases, less information is more. Uh, because people don't want to necessarily read through, uh, you know, spend hours and hours reading to find what they want. Um, so I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll end that here. Um, hopefully, uh, you found this uh, episode helpful. Uh, I'm always fascinated with the things that Google's doing, you know, and I, I wish that we knew more about, uh, how big their teams are and how they determine, um, how to accomplish what they're accomplishing in search. It's, it's fascinating to me. Um, so hopefully you're going to have a great week and thanks again for listening and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm -hmm.